Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, March 22nd, 2023, the 791st day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'm your moderator.substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. And in doing so, you will be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast for free on a wide range of podcast platforms. And of course, Rumble, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. You can find the links to the podcast, the writing, the social media, and the merch site by visiting linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. Okay. So the walls are closing in later again. Last night, we got this from the Daily Mail. Trump will not be arraigned this week. Former president is expected to be indicted tomorrow and Secret Service will make plans for his surrender and appearance in New York next week. Donald Trump will likely be indicted on Wednesday, but won't appear before a judge in New York until next week. DailyMail.com has learned. There will be no arraignment this week. A source familiar with the proceedings told Daily Mail exclusively on Tuesday. The former president, who is currently in Florida, is expected to be formally charged tomorrow, after which the Manhattan District Attorney's Office will reach out to Trump and his Secret Service detail to make arrangements for his surrender, according to the insider. And congratulations, Daily Mail, on finding that insider with all the good info. He will then fly to New York, where he will be arraigned, fingerprinted, and pose for his mugshot. And the Daily Mail includes a picture of two, maybe 60-year-old communists in all black with signs that say, arrest Trump and Trump is over. These people are absolutely insane. Maybe if they had an insider like the Daily Mail had, they wouldn't be out there embarrassing themselves. But they are, because they're communists. And they'll believe whatever they're told. This is from this morning on Just the News. Trump grand jury hearing canceled ahead of possible indictments. Whoops. Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's office reportedly canceled the grand jury meeting scheduled for Wednesday in the case against former President Donald Trump, who faces a possible indictment in connection to alleged hush money payments made to adult film star Stormy Daniels. The jurors are on standby for Thursday, according to multiple media reports. However, Business Insider reported that a law enforcement source said it is unlikely the jury will meet again this week. If that happens, any possible indictment of Trump could be delayed until next week. It's unclear what sparked the unexpected cancellation. The grand jury last convened Monday to hear testimony from former prosecutor and Cohen advisor Robert Costello. 
He told the John Solomon Reports podcast that he gave the jury documents showing that Cohen independently took out a loan during Trump's 2016 campaign to pay $130,000 to Daniels as part of a non-disclosure agreement. Bragg is reportedly considering charging Trump with falsifying business records involving the hush money. But wait, there are documents showing that Cohen took out the loan independently to pay Stormy Daniels. Sounds like there might be something else going on here. Isn't it crazy that evidence like that comes out just at the last minute, right as the walls were closing in? Well, now we have to move those goalposts once again. The walls are closing in later again, I guess. Yes, it's been almost eight years of the walls closing in, but they are closing in, I tell you. Even the New York Times is trying to lower expectations at this point. Their propagandist Charlie Savage wrote this article yesterday. Possible Trump indictment puts attention on prosecutorial discretion. The Manhattan District Attorney's looming decision about whether to seek an indictment of former President Donald J. Trump for a hush money payment to a porn actress has ignited debate over the strength of the case and how prosecutors should decide when it is appropriate to pursue charges and when not to do so. At the heart of the issue is the concept of prosecutorial discretion or the leeway that prosecutors have to use their judgment in seeking to dispense justice. In this case, the public understanding of the theory of the case being assembled by the district attorney, Alvin L. Bragg, and in particular, what underlying crime he may point to in order to transform a New York law against bookkeeping fraud into a felony remains imprecise. Yes, it's imprecision is the only problem. But some of the possibilities under discussion by outside legal specialists, including campaign finance crimes, would raise novel issues. Against that backdrop, Mr. Trump and his allies have accused Mr. Bragg, a Democrat, of being driven by political motivations and applying the law unfairly in what lawyers would call a selective prosecution. Even some legal specialists who have been critical of Mr. Trump have expressed uneasiness while cautioning that much remains unknown about the facts of the case and any charges Mr. Bragg might pursue. Here's a closer look. What is prosecutorial discretion? It is a power by prosecutors in the American justice system at both the state and federal level to decide not to bring a case, even if the law and the facts would support a conviction. In the United States, prosecutors have broad latitude to choose among a range of options in handling a criminal case, from selecting more or less harsh charges as part of an indictment, to striking a plea bargain, to bringing no charges at all. And of course, that's the exact mechanism they always point to when choosing not to prosecute violent domestic terrorists from Black Lives Matter and Antifa, as well as people looting and robbing stores in our Democrat cities all across the country, cities with Soros district attorneys, when choosing whether or not to prosecute open public drug use. Rape, murder, break-ins, the list just goes on and on and on. Crime in Democrat-run cities with Soros-supported district attorneys is exploding all around the country. In our system, so long as the prosecutor has probable cause to believe that the accused committed an offense defined by statute, the decision whether or not to prosecute and what charge to file or bring before a grand jury generally rests entirely in his discretion. Justice Potter Stewart wrote in a 1978 Supreme Court opinion. By contrast, in some other countries, prosecutors are supposed to bring charges whenever the evidence would support a conviction and decisions not to prosecute can be challenged before a judge, said David Allen Sklansky, a Stanford University criminal law professor and a former federal prosecutor. What is its purpose? One factor behind giving prosecutors such broad latitude is that criminal laws are broadly written and do not always account for every circumstance. So sometimes the interest of justice is served by not bringing charges. 
Another factor is that as a practical matter, prosecutors in the court system lack sufficient resources to bring every potential case, so they have to pick and choose. And of course, this is an excuse from the left about why prosecuting all of those crimes I just listed isn't necessary. You see, they would need more money and more resources in the district attorney's offices for these George Soros supported district attorneys in order to be able to prosecute those minor crimes like rape and murder and robbery. They need to focus on the important things like whether or not a porn star was paid money as part of an NDA by an attorney who used to work for Donald Trump over an affair that didn't happen and then figure out a way to take that issue and create a felony out of it, even though federal prosecutors have already said it's not a crime. I mean, imagine how much time and resources that takes relative to locking up murderers and rapists. It probably consumes their entire schedule. And if you don't give them more money and more resources, well, we're just going to have to keep letting rapists and murderers go free. What is selective prosecution? It is a flip side of prosecutorial discretion. If prosecutors single out one person for charges when they choose not to charge other people who committed similar offenses, the result is selective enforcement of the law. Under the rule of law, the government is supposed to treat people the same way regardless of who they are, which means treating like cases alike. The Supreme Court has said that selective prosecution violates the Equal Protection Clause if the reason for treating one defendant differently from other potential defendants is deliberately based on an unjustifiable standard such as race, religion, or other arbitrary classification. And they're kind of giving themselves an out here too. They're saying that because this is a novel legal theory, this prosecution would be the first of its kind. There's no way to claim that Donald Trump is being singled out for crimes others have committed, but for which they have not been charged. Of course, you could also prove that that's false too, but New York Times readers don't need to know that. Are there precedents for a potential Trump case? It is not easy to point to a direct precedent for the case Mr. Bragg appears to be contemplating, although there are some past matters that partly overlap. At the federal level in 2011, the Obama-era Justice Department charged John Edwards, the former senator and Democratic vice presidential candidate, with campaign finance crimes related to his 2008 presidential run and a supporter's payments to a woman with whom he had an affair. A jury acquitted him of one charge and hung on the others. The case was not retried. And that, too, was a political prosecution. Tucker Carlson pointed out on his show last night that John Edwards was a populist candidate in the Democrat Party. And if you recall back to 2008, he was the guy who began running away with the Democrat primary. And they couldn't have that, not with Obama and Clinton fighting it out. In 2018, the Trump era Justice Department charged Michael D. Cohen, Mr. Trump's lawyer and fixer, who made a $130,000 payment to the porn star Stormy Daniels in October 2016 and then was reimbursed by the Trump organization. Mr. Cohen pleaded guilty to several offenses, including violating federal campaign finance law and went to prison. Court filings in that case said Mr. Cohen had, quote, acted in coordination with and at the direction of Mr. Trump, whom it identified as individual one. At the time, Mr. Trump, as a sitting president, was temporarily immune from prosecution under a disputed but longstanding Justice Department policy. It is not clear whether the Biden era Justice Department considered bringing similar federal campaign finance charges against Mr. Trump after he left office. But Mr. Cohen was not charged with how the Trump organization falsified its business records to say the reimbursements to him were for a legal retainer that did not exist. The primary state law offense that Mr. Bragg appears to be weighing. And so you must understand that the New York Times is assuming as true the totally unproven charges that the documents from Costello just completely obliterated the other day. 
And obviously, we'll see if Alvin Bragg is able to reconceive this whole thing and still be able to indict. A study published on Tuesday on the legal blog Just Security listed various bookkeeping fraud cases against other defendants in New York, but for different factual scenarios, like an auto repair store owner who falsified business records, lowering his tax bill. So they're just basically trying to find precedent so that they can claim this is not a selective prosecution. How might Trump claim selective prosecution? If Mr. Trump does get charged, his lawyers may file a motion to dismiss the indictment on the grounds of selective prosecution, citing the rarity of precedents for such a case. Such a claim by Mr. Trump could find a receptive audience outside court, shaping the optics of a prosecution that relies on an untested interpretation of New York law, if that is what happens. Paul Rosenzweig, a former prosecutor in the independent counsel investigation of President Bill Clinton, said that while he thought Mr. Trump should go to prison, he's worried that, quote, this may be the wrong case to do it. Now that, that is amazing. The guy should go to prison. He's definitely guilty of something. It's just probably not this. But one of those other cases, for sure, over there, Mr. Trump will be guilty and prison is in store for him in the future, no matter what. And I say this as a very unbiased legal expert. This has a bit of the Al Capone feel to it, where they got him on the tax evasion because they couldn't get him on murder, which is acceptable if and only if you are convinced of the fundamental criminality of Al Capone, Mr. Rosenzweig said, I accept that as to Trump, but tens of millions don't. So you see that he's guilty of a crime, whether or not he's guilty of a crime. Does that suggest that Mr. Rosenzweig cares about equality under the law? Obviously not, but it does indicate he's part of the hate movement. Would such a claim succeed in court? Probably not, according to legal specialists. Professor Sklansky said the burden would be on Mr. Trump to show that the Manhattan District Attorney's Office had chosen to look the other way when other people did similar things within its jurisdiction. It is not clear that there are any other examples of New Yorkers falsifying business records to cover up a hush money payment during a campaign. There you go. That's the excuse. There are no similar cases, so you can't claim selective prosecution. Angela J. Davis, an American University law professor and former public defender who has written about prosecutorial discretion, agreed that it would be hard for Mr. Trump to prevail in any court effort to get the case dismissed. Selective prosecution is a really difficult thing to prove, she said. It's very difficult to show that similarly situated people could have been prosecuted, but were not. So now Trump has to prove that there have been other similar cases to this case, even though this case constitutes a novel legal theory. So what they have set up is another bullshit standard as usual, and they're claiming that there's no way Trump will be able to meet it. Well, that's because it's impossible. It's like saying Trump can only be innocent if he is able to find and procure a unicorn. And to be honest, if they tried that at this point, you would have to assume that Trump would find and procure a unicorn just because these people have absolutely no ability to be right about anything as they have proven countless times. And as you might imagine, the re is real. This is from MSNBC today. The MAGA preacher to faithful feedback loop is in full swing. You see that we are the ones in the feedback loop and we're the ones operating in a false reality. According to Hayes Brown, MSNBC opinion writer and editor. Here's an old chestnut that's been threatening to become conventional wisdom in recent weeks. Any indictment of former President Donald Trump helps his chances in a presidential election. See, everybody's been saying it, but it's just not true. It's just not true. And I'm going to prove it. How am I going to prove it? I'm going to say these are baseless claims. You think I'm joking? Not joking. 
This view has been repeated in multiple rounds of analysis and reporting over the years. Anytime accountability for Trump becomes a topic of interest from the Russia investigation to impeachment to the January 6th committee. And it has risen once more as Trump faces possible charges in relation to Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's investigation of a 2016 hush money payment to adult film star Stormy Daniels. But from where I'm sitting, there doesn't seem to be much basis for the claim that trying to strike Trump down will only make him more powerful. Instead, it seems more like the result of a feedback loop between Trump world and MAGA voters that deserves much more skepticism than it has been getting. And it's funny that Hayes Brown thinks that Trump hasn't gotten stronger from the Russia investigation and the impeachment, and the January 6th committee. That is absolutely, undeniably ridiculous. Trump is still here despite all of that. Multiple concurrent coups throughout Trump's entire presidency and the last two plus years when he hasn't been president. And he is absolutely stronger than ever. Why do people think that is? It's because they keep trying to get him and through doing so, they raise everyone's expectations. Then things completely collapse and people understand, I can't trust the media. I can't trust the regime and I can't trust these Democrats and establishment Republicans who keep trying to get Trump. Why does it always fail? Oh, ding, ding, ding. The lights go on. Oh, that's the right answer. It's because Trump is never doing any of the things he's accused of doing, and they're not crimes. And the real criminals are all on the side trying to get Trump. And of course, people are figuring this out. While there's some reasonable concern about the potential chilling effect of a failed indictment, that's not what Trump supporters are saying when they make the case that an indictment would be a net positive for the former president. They point to the failed impeachments and numerous previous investigations. They point to Trump's claim of political persecution as a mainstay of his image and say any indictment would similarly bolster that claim. They claim that actually Trump's team is pumped about the possibility of an indictment and arrest. Of course, no one wants to be indicted, but it is helpful politically and legally. And it's not even that much of a threat because the case is so weak and looks nakedly political. The Daily Mail quoted one member of Trump's inner circle as saying Trump lawyer Joe Tacopina argued in an interview with Good Day New York that an indictment would, quote, embolden him and embolden his supporters. Representative Elise Stefanik from New York, chair of the House Republican caucus and prominent Trump coattail rider insisted to the New York Times that an indictment from Bragg, quote, only strengthens President Trump moving forward. Even New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu, a Republican who isn't exactly Trump's biggest fan, thinks as much. The Stormy Daniels case is, quote, building a lot of sympathy for the former president. He told CNN State of the Union on Sunday, his evidence, none of the people he'd had coffee with that morning, quote, were big Trump supporters, but they all said they felt like he was being attacked, end quote. Here's the thing. That is actually really strong evidence. Chris Sununu is a political opponent of Donald Trump and MAGA. He is a rhino sellout in full. I would be shocked if that doesn't turn out to be true. And he is still saying that this is going to help Trump. If that guy with the political motivation to get Trump says that he was having coffee with people who don't like Trump and still understand that the prosecution is totally groundless, that's pretty good evidence that there are probably other people out there willing to say that to their friends and family who aren't nearly as invested in the outcome of this issue as Chris Sununu is. But in the false reality, that sort of thing isn't evidence at all. That's just one anecdote. They need to wait till the data comes in. Well, what sort of data are they expecting? Polling numbers? Is that going to convince them? Will that count as data 
Probably not because the polling numbers are not going to reflect the position they want it to reflect. The other problem is this is only an issue and a matter of opinion and other people's opinions and how those opinions are changing. This isn't something that you can provide direct evidence for, but this is the mindset in the false reality. If you can't prove something beyond a shadow of a doubt to each and every one of them, then it's unproven. And if it's unproven, then they can say the complete false reality nonsense that they believe and no one can prove them wrong. And to be fair, you can flip this around too, by the way, we can't prove that they're wrong until reality proves them wrong. And we can say, hey, you were wrong. You missed another major call, just like every other day in every other column you write. You are constantly wrong about everything. You keep taking the same positions for the same reasons, and you won't stop doing it. You don't even let reality prove you wrong. MAGA supporters see and hear that message and are happy to repeat it back when asked. At a Trump rally in Iowa last week, attendees told NBC News' Jonathan Allen they were sure their guy would come out on top if charged. In a Fox News Man on the Street segment recorded in New York City, one Trump supporter called a potential indictment great since, quote, it will give him more notoriety and his base will get even stronger. But when you press beyond the cycle between MAGA preachers and their faithful, there's little evidence to back up the idea that Trump benefits in the long term from an indictment. For one, as MSNBC host Jen Psaki pointed out Saturday, this is deeply unprecedented territory. For all the Trump scandals and lawsuits and investigations over the years, quote, he's never been indicted before. So there's no evidence that Trump could be helped by this indictment, but the evidence that he'll be harmed by this indictment is that he's never been indicted before. Just wait till it really happens. Once it really happens, oh, you're going to see how bad it's going to get for Donald Trump. Oh, he's going to plummet in the polls. He'll probably drop out of the race altogether because he's going to be serving from prison. <laughs> These people are absolutely insane. And now they're quoting Jen Psaki. As if she has some expert opinion here. And by the way, that's just an opinion. That's not evidence in any way greater than Chris Sununu's evidence was. In fact, it's lesser evidence because Jen Psaki is lying and making something up. That's not evidence of anything. That is a theory about how they might reach their best case scenario against impossible odds. Chris Sununu was actually honestly reporting an honest conversation he had with people who aren't on Donald Trump's side. Jen Psaki's just lying. It's insane. While things may very well change if and when charges are announced, the odds of Trump's getting a boost broadly from an indictment seem slim. His recent improvements in the 2024 primary polls predate possible charges. A GOP operative told Allen that while an indictment, quote, absolutely helps President Trump going into a primary, I'm not so sure what it does in a general election. Oh, yeah, that's when it's all going to pay off for you guys. And you have so much evidence to prove that case sometime next year. Talk about baseless claims that tracks with the analysis from the New York Times Nate Cohn, who wrote Tuesday that, quote, it's a little much to argue that many Republicans who don't support him for the nomination today would be far likelier to back him after an indictment, adding it could certainly energize his base, but an indictment would reinforce some of the reasons other Republicans are reluctant to back him in the first place. And when you look at the aftermath of the FBI's search for classified documents at Mar-a-Lago last year, any temporary boost he got from his cries of raid quickly dissipated. Really? Imagine how invested in the false reality you have to be to think that's true, that Donald Trump has been hurt by the Mar-a-Lago raid and that he's scared for his future vis-a-vis -vis that Mar-a-Lago raid. Donald Trump's not scared at all. He's mocking all of these people and destroying Ron DeSantis in the process. 
Donald Trump's not worried about any of this. He's having a rally in Waco, Texas on Saturday. And Trump really is crushing Ron DeSantis right now. The polls are shifting drastically. And Ron DeSantis's clown car of idiots who are trying to support him in anti-Trump fashion online are getting absolutely crushed on there. They're getting mocked and ratioed constantly. The whole thing is an embarrassing disaster. And you have to think what sort of person would abandon Donald Trump for Ron DeSantis. That's who DeSantis and Christina Pushaw had to select from because they weren't going to actually attract any legitimate Trump backers. So what they've done is find a bunch of people who hated Trump and MAGA already and were prepared to go after Trump. People with obviously no principles and no morals who are more than happy to sell out when offered the opportunity to suck up to the GOP establishment. That's exactly what they've done. They've all exposed themselves because Trump drew them out of the woodwork. And he did it with a few posts on Truth Social. When he called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious, they went absolutely bonkers online. The entire operation went live. It's continued since then. And now they are getting absolutely destroyed. And it's funny because Trump put up his post right before that all set off in late October, early November of last year. And he said, who is next to enter the Trump quicksand? Many have tried leaving permanently damaged or never to be heard from again. So he previewed what was about to happen. Someone was going to step into the Trump quicksand. Turns out that it's Ron DeSantis and his online supporters, or to be fair, if the whole thing is just for show, then it was only his online supporters and the GOP establishment donors, the media outlets, the people online, the Daily Wire types, etc. All the people, Trump shouldn't say this about Ron DeSantis. They all came out with a couple of posts. He completely killed them, said, welcome to the quicksand. He called Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSanctimonious. The whole thing started up and it has continued every day since then. Today, Trump says, while I am fighting against radical left lunatics, persecutors and unfair prosecutors who want to destroy us all, Ron DeSanctimonious is not working for the people of Florida as he should be. He is too busy chatting with a ratings challenged TV host from England, desperately trying to rescue his failing campaign. But it's my fault. I put him there. Now, interesting wording at the end. Does he mean he got Ron DeSantis elected in 2018, barely beating the gay meth head in Florida? Or does he mean he has set up Ron DeSantis for all of this to happen? And the whole point the entire time was to expose all of these anti-Trump people in the conservative establishment, in the conservative influencer world, in media and in the donor base. One way or another, he's exposed them all. Whether Ron DeSantis runs, whether he's actually anti-Trump, whether he's actually establishment, whether he's actually a sellout, that remains to be seen. There's a strong case to be made that all of that is true. If it turns out not to be true, this was still absolutely 100% effective against the anti-Trump effort that Trump knew was coming. How does Trump always know when these things are coming? It's worth remembering He's the one who set off this whole chain of events about his arrest this week, too. He's also the one that set off the chain of events around the Mar-a-Lago raid. At some point, people are going to have to realize he's ahead of the game and he knows what he's doing. There's also no way to really tell what happens if Trump winds up facing multiple charges in multiple jurisdictions. While the Bragg investigation is the timeliest, the Justice Department's special counsel, Jack Smith, is still looking into Trump's role in the January 6th attack and the classified documents found at Mar-a-Lago. They are going to hang on to each and every last hope they have until it embarrasses them fully and publicly, and they will still keep going. They have proven it for almost eight years now. And in Georgia, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis 
continues to investigate 2020 election interference in the state, a probe Trump's lawyers are still trying to quash. It's hard to see how three separate trials would be a net positive for him, especially among voters whose support he failed to get in 2020. You see that what they need is three separate baseless prosecutions that aren't happening in order to make their case. These, my friends, are baseless claims. This is no evidence. If Trump and team were really confident that the blowback would help his image, then you'd think they'd be relishing the chance to make their case in court. What? But all indications show that Trump is, quote, deeply anxious about the prospect of an arrest, as the New York Times put it wrongly. These people will never get it. They really will never get it. There is nothing deeply anxious about the prospect of arrest coming from Trump. He's laughing at it and he's focused on other things. And we'll discuss those other things in just a moment. The public assurances from his hangers on seem less like true confidence and more like attempts to soothe his anxieties. We've long known that any television appearance by a Trump crony really has an audience of one and that he will undoubtedly be watching the performance. But we shouldn't mistake fodder to assuage a man child's ego for political truth. Hayes Brown, MSNBC. Again, they've been saying this for almost eight years. It's not real confidence. They're actually really, really deeply anxious because they know the walls are closing in. That's why he's acting out in all these ways. Eight years of it. And they won't stop. They can't stop. Because once they stop, once they realize that evidence from the real world, the empirical, observable reality, actually matters more than these ridiculous conspiracy theories they create, well, then the whole thing falls apart. And think about what this article is. It's a reaction to an extraordinarily damaging narrative in the public consciousness. Okay. Trump not being afraid of this indictment and arrest at all is absolutely crushing for them because he has to take it seriously in order for their narrative to work. If Trump doesn't care about this at all, then no one takes it seriously. And again, we've seen Trump confront issues like this head on for almost eight years now. They've been mad since he came down the elevator in June 2015, and they've been trying to destroy him ever since that day. Remember, he was talking about illegal aliens and there are rapists and murderers. And he said they're not sending us their best. Everyone went absolutely crazy. Trump said Hispanics are rapists and murderers. No, he didn't. And he was asked about this by Don Lemon back then. And Trump said, well, Don, someone's doing all the raping because he was pointing out that something like 80% of women making that journey are raped along the journey. There's sex trafficking and child trafficking happening at the border. So yeah, someone is doing all the raping. They tried to destroy him for that because they didn't want the public to know the reality of what's actually happening with the slave trade being conducted across our southern border. So MSNBC's Hayes Brown mentioned that Trump's legal team has filed a motion to quash in the Georgia grand jury issue. Here's the introduction to that filing. On January 24th, 2022, the chief judge of the Fulton County Superior Court entered an order approving the request made by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office to impanel a special purpose grand jury. The order of the court merely echoed the recitation of need outlined by the Fulton County District Attorney's Office, the FCDA, in their letter to the court, which specified a special purpose grand jury should be impaneled for the purpose of investigating the facts and circumstances relating directly or indirectly to possible attempts to disrupt the lawful administration of the 2020 elections in the state of Georgia. The letter informed the court that this rarely used investigative body was necessary because the FCDA's office anticipated that the investigation would be a lengthy, complex process, which a regular sitting grand jury wouldn't be able to complete in addition to their regular duties. 
In the letter, the FCDA's office made it abundantly clear that they understood that this special purpose grand jury would be without authority to return an indictment. The laws that authorize this special purpose grand jury have existed in the Georgia Code since 1974, but have rarely been utilized and even more rarely litigated. The statutes themselves are vague and have left much to interpretation. Further, the case law regarding the process and function of the special purpose grand jury is similarly scant, unclear, and sometimes contradictory. This is the framework within which the FCDA's office has chosen to undertake this investigation of undoubtedly historic and national significance. This is the framework which has been revealed through this process to be erroneous and more importantly, unconstitutional. For approximately eight months, the special purpose grand jury met at the direction of the FCDA's office. Pursuant to impaneling the order, the supervising judge was tasked with overseeing and assisting the special purpose grand jury, as well as charging said grand jury and receiving its reports. The SPGJ considered evidence and heard from over 75 witnesses, all within the walls of the Fulton County Justice Center. Over those eight months, movement President Donald J. Trump remained a non-witness as he was never subpoenaed nor asked to testify. Throughout the investigation, the elected district attorney of Fulton County, Fannie Willis, was the, quote, very public face of this investigation, end quote, and routinely sat for interviews with various media outlets regarding the matter. The supervising judge dissolved the SPGJ on January 9th, 2023. In his order of dissolution, the supervising judge, recognizing that the steps of this process were unclear, invited briefing from the FCDA's office and the media, notably excluding any other parties, including witnesses and targets, and set a hearing on the issue of publication. While stating the statute directed him to release the report, the supervising judge cited due process concerns in ultimately ruling that only a small portion of the report would become public at that time. The judge wrote, The consequence of these due process deficiencies is not that the special purpose grand jury's final report is forever suppressed or that its recommendations for or against indictment are in any way flawed or suspect. Rather, the consequence is that those recommendations are for the district attorney's eyes only for now. Fundamental fairness requires this. However, on February 21st, 2023, in contravention of the order of the supervising judge, the nation was given a view inside the SPGJ process when, in a bizarre turn of events, the SPGJ four person engaged in a media tour where she shared the specifics of her experience publicly. The four persons public comments reveal that both the procedures set forth for the SPGJ, as well as the application of those procedures by the supervising judge and the FCDA's office failed to protect the most basic procedural and substantive constitutional rights of all individuals discussed by this investigative body. Compounding the harm inflicted by the four persons public comments, the supervising judge then gave numerous media interviews despite still presiding over this pending matter. This motion addresses the following issues which violate the principles of fundamental fairness and due process. One, the unconstitutionality of the special purpose grand jury statutes as set forth, both facially and as applied to this case. Two, the existing actual conflict suffered by the FCDA's office, which has been exacerbated by instances of forensic misconduct and improper extrajudicial activity such that the FCDA's office must be disqualified from the matter. So they are asking for the entire DA's office to be recused from this matter. Three, the unconstitutional taint infecting the grand jury proceeding and the corresponding taint on the potential grand jury and petite jury pool. And four, the unconstitutional taint inflicted on the grand jury proceedings and potential grand jury and petite jury pool by the in-court as well as the extrajudicial statements made by the supervising judge. First, the special purpose grand jury statutes are unconstitutionally vague, resulting in disparate application. The statutes are silent as to key powers and duties of the grand jury, and they do not prescribe what shall be included in the report, nor do they specify how or if it should be disseminated. 
The failures in the statutory framework directly impact the fundamental fairness of the proceedings and violate the due process rights of the individuals involved. Second, the supervising judge applied the statutes in a way that violated the due process rights of the individuals involved when he held, contrary to Georgia precedent, that this SPGJ was a criminal grand jury. That determination had a negative ripple effect on the constitutional integrity of the entire process, as it permitted the compulsion of testimony from out-of-state witnesses and impacted the application of core constitutional privileges, such as the Fifth Amendment and sovereign immunity. Third, the supervising judge improperly disqualified the FCDA's office from investigating a singular target when it was instead required to exclude the FCDA's office from the entire investigation. The resulting prejudicial taint cannot be excised from the results of the investigation or any future prosecution by the FCDA's office. Additionally, the FCDA's media interviews violate prosecutorial standards and constitute forensic misconduct, and her social media activity creates the appearance of impropriety compounding the necessity for disqualification. So they should have never been involved. It is an obvious get Trump effort. And the district attorney's office was basically presiding and running this grand jury the entire time. Fourth, the four persons and grand jurors comments illustrate the lack of proper instruction and supervision over the grand jury relating to clear evidentiary matters, which violates the notions of fundamental fairness and due process. The results of the investigation cannot be relied upon and therefore must be suppressed given the constitutional violations. The four persons public comments in and of themselves likewise violate notions of fundamental fairness and due process and taint any future grand jury pool. And they're talking, of course, about that crazy little witch lady who was all over the news a few weeks ago being all creepy. I mean, even looking at that person is likely to make your skin crawl. Finally, the supervising judge's improper conduct tainted the proceeding and similarly violated notions of fundamental fairness and due process. The supervising judge made inappropriate and prejudicial comments relating to the conduct under investigation as well as potential witnesses invocation of the Fifth Amendment. He improperly applied the law and subsequently denied appellate review while knowing his application of the law in that manner had vast implications on the constitutionality of the investigation. His nexus to certain aspects of the SPGJ and subsequent drafting of the report in combination with his prior rulings necessitate review by the chief judge of the Fulton County Superior Court. Accordingly, President Donald J. Trump hereby moves to quash the SPGJ's report and preclude the use of any evidence derived therefrom as it was conducted under an unconstitutional statute through an illegal and unconstitutional process and by a disqualified district attorney's office who violated prosecutorial standards and acted with disregard for the gravity of the circumstances and the constitutional rights of those involved. Movement further requests that this court disqualify the FCDA from any further proceedings in this matter, including any indictments and or prosecutions as her disqualifying conflict already found by the supervising judge commanded and commands this result. So another get Trump effort has been totally contrived from the beginning. They engaged these long, complicated, drawn out processes where they intend to present only one side of the case, get enough information and find something to charge Trump with, even though that's not the purpose of the institution, the special purpose grand jury. Exactly the same thing you saw with the Mueller investigation, with the January 6th committee, with the impeachment trials and with what's happening in New York. They have to find a way to get Trump. And here's how the lunatic left is responding. This is from Ross story yesterday. Trump bombshell lawyer won't admit former president lost Georgia during MSNBC grilling. Now, why would Trump's former lawyer not admit that Trump lost in Georgia? Is it because he knows that Trump didn't lose in Georgia? Yeah, that's the reason. In a heated clash on MSNBC Tuesday, Anchor Ari Melber cornered former President Donald Trump's lawyer representing him in the case in Georgia, Drew Findling. 
demanding that he justify former President Donald Trump's demands for Georgia officials to find him extra votes. This comes as Findling and his team have filed a long shot motion in court to block Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis from using any of the recommendations from the special grand jury investigating Trump and his allies. Now, did this writer for Raw Story, Matthew Chapman, read the filing? No. Did he read the introduction to the filing like I just read to you? Definitely not. He read coverage of the filing in the mainstream media, accepted that it is a long shot motion and is now treating that as an unassailable fact. One of the things that really set this all off, the reason that Donald Trump hired you, the reason for his potential legal exposure is, of course, that Donald Trump was caught on tape talking to the secretary of state, said Melbert. I wanted to get your perspective on this, Drew, when you look at the timeline. Biden won on November 7th, the Electoral College certified on December 14th, the subsequent calls, that one and another one, according to recent reporting that he did, came after the Electoral College certified this. Was it A, illegal and B, wrong for him to try to steal the results after Georgia had been duly certified? Now, Ari Melber. And the entire audience of child brains who watches MSNBC still love this Trump phone call issue where he asked Brad Raffensperger, can't you just find me 11,878 votes or whatever the number was? If you listen to the call, Donald Trump is saying, hey, we have all of this fraud we found in Georgia. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of fraudulent votes. You really need to do something about that, Brad. Just pick one of these buckets of votes, pursue that. We know that the numbers are big enough to change the results in Georgia. Just go ahead and find us one of those buckets. You don't have to do the whole thing. Just go after one of them because that's going to prove the case and we can get to the other ones later. That's how the call went. You can listen to the whole call. You could listen to the whole call when it came out back then and immediately know that the media narrative surrounding that call was completely and totally false. But here they are two and a half years later, still sticking with it as one of their main points, one of their main proofs that Donald Trump is guilty of something, particularly in Georgia. Nonetheless, Ari Melber believes that that was Trump trying to steal the results after Georgia had been duly certified. Findling pushed back, saying that he doesn't, quote, listen to an eight second clip out of context, that this was perfectly legal and the former president did not break any law. He's right about all of that. Melber continued to push back, however, saying, when you look at any demand to change the votes after certified, Here's your chance to tell the viewers you made the motion to quash. You're speaking out now. What is the argument for this person, Donald Trump, after the election was certified duly and under law by the Constitution in the state of Georgia to then demand at the time secretly, secretly demand that officials commit elector and voter fraud? Well, first of all, he didn't secretly demand it just because the call was leaked doesn't mean anything was happening in secret. They were having a totally normal conversation that people holding those offices would have. It's especially not secret because Donald Trump was making the same case in public every day. The media has just created the illusion of secrecy because the call was quote unquote leaked. And if it's leaked, that means that whatever was leaked was a secret, but it wasn't a secret. It was just their offices having a conversation. The leak was the only illegal thing that happened in this situation. I'm not going to bear down on the specifics, said Findling, but just as I am passionate about these other cases and knowing the body of work that I'm involved in, you know, whether it's representing post George Floyd protesters against this district attorney's office pro bono people that are exercising their first amendment rights and doing those cases for free. I'm just as passionate. I will tell you, having looked at the evidence in this case, that there's no violations of the law. So we have the motion to quash on completely legitimate legal grounds 
being reframed as a long shot motion. And then we immediately jump to a distraction that Trump's lawyer wouldn't admit Trump lost Georgia. Why do they do this? Because this is what reaffirms Donald Trump's criminality, even though he cannot be charged for anything from this grand jury. And this motion to quash may go through. Now, that doesn't mean that the district attorney's office is just going to stop and give up. Of course, they're not. We've seen this over and over and over again. But what they are doing is completely unconstitutional, outside the law and totally illegitimate. So ultimately, it won't matter. But it kind of seems like they know they're operating outside the bounds of the law all the time, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like they believe they are operating under a system of law that does not require following the U.S. Constitution. When did they start using these tactics? Is it just with Donald Trump or have they been doing it for a long time? Kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Now, while all this has been going on, Donald Trump has been releasing Agenda 47 statements by video, letting people know what to expect when Donald Trump is publicly recognized as the president once again, no matter how that comes to be. On Monday, he addressed the illegitimate president's plans for the future of suburban America. Joe Biden recently announced that he will require every state, county, city and town to submit so-called equity plans to impose the left's Marxist housing agenda on your communities. This is not what we need. The Biden power grab will put radical and racist left-wing bureaucrats in charge of micromanaging the housing where you live. And nobody can be happy about that. I talked about it during my last campaign, and people understood it very well. They will use the power of the federal government to abolish zoning for single-family homes, destroy your property values by building giant multifamily apartment complexes in the suburbs and even next to your house, and force your community to pay for low-income housing developments right next door. The woke left is waging full-scale war on the suburbs, and their Marxist crusade is coming for your neighborhood, your tax dollars, your public safety, and your home. When I get back into the Oval Office, one of my first acts will be to repeal Joe Biden's radical left attack on the suburban lifestyle, just as I blew up Barack Obama's leftist housing monstrosity just a few years ago when I blew it up. The Biden war on the suburbs will be over, and it'll never happen again. That whole mess will never ever happen again. We pray for our country. Thank you. And you do have to think about that plan. He has been talking about this for a long time. What they want to do is build low income housing. They're going to change the zoning restrictions in suburban areas so that they can put up low income apartment buildings wherever they want. And who's going to be in those buildings? Is it going to be all of their homeless people? Is it going to be all of the illegal aliens that they are importing from something like 150 plus countries around the world so that they can be put to work for massive corporations while all of their social services and medical care and housing and everything else is paid for by American taxpayers. Yeah, that's what's going on. They're not trying to fix a housing crisis. They are trying to expand cities and destroy the middle class lifestyle. Normal people's net worth, everything they own is tied up in their houses. And so bringing in low income housing into residential neighborhoods is going to drop the value of everyone's homes. And that's not to mention any of the other lifestyle changes that would occur in small communities if low income housing is brought in. These people are trying to completely change what American life is like. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system. They lay out the system. They tell you what it is they are going to do and why they want to do it. It's time people simply start listening. Thank goodness there is somebody like Donald Trump focused on these issues and willing to stand up and stop it. And that will happen as soon as the Trump haters out there get their heads 
out of their asses and stop focusing on their own personal feelings and how they're going to be perceived by people who wore masks in their cars. But he's not just focused on the important local issues that are affecting real Americans in their communities. He's also focused on the big picture issues that affect all Americans simultaneously, like the absolute infiltration and corruption of American government at all levels. Here's his statement from yesterday. Here's my plan to dismantle the deep state and reclaim our democracy from Washington corruption once and for all, and corruption it is. First, I will immediately reissue my 2020 executive order restoring the president's authority to remove rogue bureaucrats, and I will wield that power very aggressively. Second, we will clean out all of the corrupt actors in our national security and intelligence apparatus, and there are plenty of them. The departments and agencies that have been weaponized will be completely overhauled, so that faceless bureaucrats will never again be able to target and persecute conservatives, Christians, or the left's political enemies, which they're doing now at a level that nobody can believe even possible. Third, we will totally reform FISA courts, which are so corrupt that the judges seemingly do not care when they are lied to in warrant applications. So many judges have seen so many applications that they know were wrong, or at least they must have known. They do nothing about it. They're lied to. Fourth, to expose the hoaxes and abuses of power that have been tearing our country apart, we will establish a Truth and Reconciliation Commission to declassify and publish all documents on deep state spying, censorship, and corruption. And there are plenty of them. Fifth, we will launch a major crackdown on government leakers who collude with the fake news to deliberately weave false narratives and to subvert our government and our democracy. When possible, we will press criminal charges. Sixth, we will make every Inspector General's office independent and physically separated from the departments they oversee so they do not become the protectors of the deep state. Seventh, I will ask Congress to establish an independent auditing system to continually monitor our intelligence agencies to ensure they are not spying on our citizens or running disinformation campaigns against the American people, or that they are not spying on someone's campaign like they spied on my campaign. Eighth, we will continue the effort launched by the Trump administration to move parts of the sprawling federal bureaucracy to new locations outside the Washington swamp. Just as I moved the Bureau of Land Management to Colorado, as many as 100,000 government positions could be moved out, and I mean immediately, of Washington to places filled with patriots who love America, and they really do love America. Ninth, I will work to ban federal bureaucrats from taking jobs at the companies they deal with and that they regulate. So they deal with these companies and they regulate these companies and then they want to take jobs from these companies. Doesn't work that way. Such a public display cannot go on and it's taking place all the time like with Big Pharma. Finally, I will push a constitutional amendment to impose term limits on members of Congress this is how I will shatter the deep state and restore government that is controlled by the people and for the people. Thank you very much. Now, if you have any clue at all about what's going on in our country and about what's going on in the world, that alone should be enough to vote for Donald Trump. Aside from the fact that our elections are stolen, that is the important issue in the country. And there's even an interplay between those two issues. The deep state is what is driving us into this global order and has been for decades. It's what's sending the jobs overseas. It's what's prosecuting political opponents and censoring speech with the tech companies. It's what's feeding us all the propaganda and starting these ridiculous wars of choice across the world. It's what's pushing America into unrecoverable debt and causing the immigration crisis. These people are criminals and Donald Trump is sent to destroy them. 
That's what he's been focused on this entire time. Does it happen as fast as everyone would like? No, of course it doesn't. It's a big project. But he is the man who's going to get it done. Where, oh where, is Ron DeSanctimonious in addressing the problems posed by the deep state? Well, he's nowhere to be found because those are the people who are currently supporting Ron DeSantis. Isn't it crazy how that works? I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!